0: Our mortgage team happens to be an arm of a bigger company who is a direct lender, which means our company gets to use its own money and make its own decisions within its own walls. There's no middleman. This advantage often allows us to get you a better rate, which can save you monthly and lifelong money through a refinance or help you with a cash out refinance, cashing out some of your home's equity to use for life. We are United Faith Mortgage. United Faith Mortgage is a DBA of United Mortgage Corp. 25 Melville Park Road, Melville, New York. Licensed mortgage banker. For all licensing information, go to nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Corporate NMLS number 1330. Equal housing lender. Not licensed in Alaska, Hawaii, Georgia, Massachusetts, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Utah.
1: Michael, thanks so much for being here with us
2: um, each
0: and every Monday.
2: Yep. Glad to be with you.
0: Well, we appreciate all that you share, and we are doing the 52 Weeks in the Word, and Leviticus was doing a number on us for a while, <laughs> learning about all the rules and um, uh, just the, the, the sacrifices. But I had some insights about it in the middle that was really helpful, and Tom, you had a question. I don't know if you want to start with that.
1: I, I do. It's just a quick question, really, and uh, I, I could go a number of different ways, but I will land on this one. The year of Jubilee. Is that something that actually, is that continuing to this day? And could it be actually implemented today?
2: Israel is a secular state. And so, uh, no. And yes, the Orthodox still want it to be implemented, the sabbatical year at least. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, every seventh year rest the land. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the, but that is not something that happens. The kibbutzim, the uh, communal agricultural farms in Israel continue uh, to operate uh year round seven years seven every seven years, but the or, the ultra orthodox want to control it and say it doesn't. But no, it okay. does not.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, but because just reading about how God would bless the sixth year, yeah, you know, so that you could have enough harvest into the ninth year, which is when you know you would be able to harvest again what you plant in the eighth year. Yeah, so just
2: uh, you know, it is uh there. Let's be honest. Okay. The the reason Israel went into captivity for 70 years is that over a 490-year span, they didn't carry out the sabbatical year. Mm. So it's part of the law, but it's been rarely kept.
1: Yeah.
0: And I just had—I yep. I don't even know if these are questions. They were reflections, and maybe you can comment on them. But I was, of course, Leviticus shows the gravity of sin. I, I was getting that, and how God was trying to protect them from um, from the things that ha- would happen to the other nations, and the wildness and the lewdness that was going yeah. on in these other nations. That He was given. you are going to be holy. You're going to—you're going to be an example. Um, but also, I saw the importance of Sabbath. Do you have any reflections on keeping Sabbath? Today, because it was just so important to keep the literal weekly Sabbath, but to keep that Sabbath every few years as well. And we don't, mm-hmm. that's like the only 10 Commandment, one of the 10 commandments we don't keep.
2: Yeah, it's the only one not repeated in the New Testament, which is kind of interesting. Huh. Uh, part of that is from the book of Exodus. It says that the Sabbath was the outward sign of the Mosaic covenant. So, you know how the Abrahamic covenant, the outward sign, was uh, uh, circumcision. And the Noahic covenant, the outward sign, was the rainbow. And so, as a result, uh, with the law of Moses in Exodus, I believe chapter 34, it says that the sign of the Mosaic covenant, the law of Moses, was the Sabbath. Now, the New Covenant, the New Testament, makes it really clear that though we're still under this administration of God's law, that administration has various expressions, uh, and the Mosaic Law was one of them, and now we're under the mo- what what Paul calls the Law of Christ or the, mo- the Messianic Law, the, uh-huh. mo- the, the Law of Messiah. And many of the commands of the Law of Messiah are repeated. Nine of the Ten Commandments are repeated. Mm-hmm. But the one that isn't is the Sabbath, and I think it's to show that we're not under that one any longer in the strictest sense. Uh, Romans chapter fourteen says, "One man honors one day above another; another views them all alike. Let each man be convinced in his own mind." So I don't think that we're compelled to carry out that that very same strict Sabbath law of the law of Moses. However there's a life principle, a wisdom principle embedded in every commandment. And the the wisdom principle embedded in the law of Moses for Sabbath is that every person needs a day of rest for, for their bodies, physical rest and also spiritual renewal once a week. So we need that mm-hmm. and we ought to take it. Romans 14 says, you know, you could do it Tuesday. It's fine. But but you do need it. Mm-hmm. And I think that we can't ignore the need for a spiritual and physical cessation of, of activity. That's what that's what Sabbath means, to cease. Uh, we need to do that so that we can be renewed in our spirit and in our bodies.
1: Thank you. All right. You're hearing the voice of Dr. Michael Rydelnik. Uh, he joins us each and every Monday to answer your questions coming out of the uh, Tennessee Valley. And our first one has to do with relationship. Tommy.
0: It's, uh... It's an interesting one. So this person says, I am a widowed lady who has started dating again. I date only fellow believers, but as you know, not all believers have the same thoughts on the basic tenets of the faith. I dated one man who didn't believe our salvation was permanent, but I do. I wouldn't mind if we disagreed on something like the authorship of the book of Hebrews or which Bible translation we use, but other things like once saved, always saved speak more deeply to our relationship to Jesus. So my question is, what tenets should should I not compromise on so that we can have a healthy relationship and be able to serve the Lord as a couple?
2: I think that that's a matter of your own conscience. You know, there are obviously some essential doctrines uh, that are uh, just essential for, of what what constitutes a genuine follower of Jesus. For example, uh, justification by grace through faith, you know, justification by faith. Uh, a d- essential doctrine is the triunity of God, the deity of Christ. Uh, those are some essential teachings of the Bible that you know. If you're a believer, you will you will absolutely hold them. Then there are many believers who differ on things like the end times and uh, the nature of eternal security, the the security of the believer, mm-hmm. uh, and they differ, and that would be a matter of conscience for a person to see what they can what could they put up with you know mm-hmm. uh th- what what is something that they think is important for them may not be as essential for a fellowship with just another believer but uh for a very close relationship uh that would be tough uh I, I'll, I'll give you an example i have a very good friend that's post-trib he believes you can lose your salvation uh uh He's uh, he's he he also is extremely different about me about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, mm. but we're very good friends. He's a kind of well known Bible teacher. Uh, now, if he were a woman back forty five years ago, you know, when I was uh, before I married Eva, forty six years ago, right? If he were a woman, you know, I I wouldn't have been interested in him. Those issues are too important to me. Okay. Uh, but someone else who holds my views might say, oh, they're not that important. D- do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's it's a matter of conscience, I think. Uh, I, I would be very frustrated to have uh, dated or, you know, because when you're dating, you're actually thinking, this might be a person that I might marry. People don't think of it that way, mm-hmm. but that's really what it is. You have to be really careful. What What is it that you know, even I differ about favorite Bible translations, <laughs> but, <laughs>
0: but you don't care.
2: Yeah, but that's not a, you know, she loves the New American Standard. She thinks that Paul wrote it. And, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but see, I, uh, but that that's just a preference, and it's not a a big deal. Uh, the The point is that a, a person, each person, needs to know what is uh, a, a an essential in a relationship them and I can't tell you what
1: Yeah, Yeah. Great to have you with us right now. It's Mornings with Tom and Tabi. You picked a great time to punch in because we're chatting with Dr. Michael Rydalnik. He's answering questions and we want to hear from you. If you've got a question from Michael, text it in at 423- 629-8900.
0: Okay, so I've got a, a question from Dale and he wants to know more about Abraham's bosom. Can you talk about it?
2: Yeah, it's... uh Abraham's chest that's what it is <laughs> <laughs> thank you there we go <laughs> uh, you know it's uh, I just think people make a uh, theologians have made a bigger deal of this than they should how's that uh, they want to say that there's a place in the abode of the dead with the name Abraham's bosom sort of like you know Chattanooga or like it's some location, and it's not. It means uh, the uh, the the chest of Abraham there, and what in that story of Lazarus and the rich man, when Lazarus dies, he goes to be with the Lord, and he is being comforted by Father Abraham, and you could just see he's up against Abraham's, you know, chest. You could just see that. It's like you would comfort a child mm. by hugging them to your chest. That's all it means. It's he's in it's not a location in Sheol like people want to say it is.
0: So. Okay, wh- so wait. <laughs> so you're saying literally he was hugging Abraham. Yeah. But oh,
2: what? Well, it's a parable, so Oh, it's, it's a, so it's not
0: it's not a real so it's just an idea that yeah. he was he was being comforted hug, embracing by Father Abraham. By yeah. being embraced by Father Abraham. I have never heard this. Wow. Well, you've never. Well, that's what I mean. I mean, think about it.
2: Just read read it for the plain sense instead of trying to impose a whole (sighs) theological system of death behind it. Just read it for the plain sense. Uh, I mean, really, I I just think it's so funny how people want to imbue it with all this theology, which is not there in the text. Uh, They they want to call it that, and I'm reading the story according to. To what Luke wrote, and it says, uh, Let's see if I can find this. It says here uh, One day the poor man died, was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, he looked up and saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. Abraham, Father, Father Abraham, he called out, have mercy on me. So, what is it saying? Where is Lazarus? Is he in a location? No. He's, he's in the, the afterlife. Side. Yeah. He's with the Lord and, and he's at Abraham's side being hmm. hugged.
1: Okay.
0: This is this is gonna take me a moment. Yeah. yeah so, it's a poetic, it's a poetic image of the of the patriarch giving <laughs> sure. comfort to him. Yeah.
1: No, I, I yeah. see that, and so Toby's going to go get a drink and uh, just just some water, just <laughs> non-alcoholic. She's, she's by the walking way. through this, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we do have another question. If I can continue this one, Michael, the question is about heaven. Will we work in heaven? I know that um, we worship and and feel that work implies labor associated with man, but when we serve our glorious Lord all of our days, it, will there be work in heaven?
2: Do you know the Hebrew word for worship? Uh, is the same word for work. What? Yep.
0: I need to go to class more. <laughs> yeah. uh,
2: so if we're gonna worship, yes, we'll be working at worship and service. It means work or serve. Okay. Work uh, or serve. And uh, okay, so okay, ready, ready to flip out. I'll give you a flip out on a verse. Okay, you ready? Yeah. Uh, Genesis chapter two, when God puts Adam and Eve in the garden. Okay? Okay. Uh, verse 15, it says, uh, in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 15, it says, uh, the Lord took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. Mm-hmm. Okay? Uh, now, the word it is actually not in the consonants of the Hebrew letters. The word it is was added in the Middle Ages by Hebrew scribes by adding a dot, just a dot, not a letter, into the Hebrew text. What? Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's true. So it's not in the original text of the Bible, the word it. And in fact, it doesn't match the gender of the garden. The, the Hebrew gender for that pronoun, it, doesn't match the gender of the garden. So it doesn't appear to have been It should not have been placed there. So you take out the work it and keep it, right? And remember the word work also means worship. And the word keep as in in keep the rules, obey. So God placed man in the Garden of Eden to worship and obey. Not to work the garden and to keep the garden all clean, but to worship and obey God. That is the purpose that uh, humanity was placed in the Garden of Eden. And then what happens? Adam sins and he gets kicked out of the garden, right? And what's the curse? Now you have to work the soil in the sweat of your brow. So here's the point that when we go to heaven, I think we're going to worship and obey just as we were supposed to do in the Garden of Eden. We go back to the original
0: purpose of our creation. Yeah. Oh, this is deep
1: yeah I, I, I if you listen in the distance, you can hear a mic drop. <laughs> uh, it was his Bible yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah this is this is d yeah. I mean just to think about yeah. it that way
2: that worship will be our work mm-hmm. uh, and well, I, you know, I'm sure we're going to do other things because it says in the new creation when we're resurrected, mm-hmm. uh, that his servants will serve him, so we're going to work for the Lord. Mm-hmm. I think it's so hard to grasp what we'll be doing. I mean, there's things like ruling the earth and things like that that we will have to do, but it it doesn't specify because it's going to be a whole different creation, a whole different world when the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth come about and we're Mm -hmm. there serving the Lord. It's beyond our grasp, and I think it just says we're going to serve him, and that's what we're going to do.
0: And maybe travel around to different planets. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? See what's there. Well, we are going to eat there, and
1: I believe the primary meal at the marriage supper is going to be pizza. But I can't find that anywhere really, <laughs> except in the Tom translation.
2: <laughs> oh, but you two! You, I, I'm going to send you both a verse, and it's it's from First uh, Corinthians. Don't go beyond that which is written. The, Amen. Which, uh, you... <laughs>
0: That's for Tom. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that's for Tom. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> no, for me too. Hey, and one last question. Um, as, uh, one of our listeners says, our Sunday school class is studying Revelation, and in chapter 8, verses 3 through 5, it tells of the censer of incense and the prayers of all the saints coming up before God. Could you shed more light about these verses on the prayers? So, so again, that's Revelation 8, 3 through 5.
2: Okay, so... I think people really need to be able to discern when something is poetic or symbolic. Uh, it's not literal. Uh, th- there's something real there. The real thing is the prayers. Mm-hmm. But during the tribulation, the the prayers will be appearing before God. And the way the symbol is written is it's like a censer or, or incense before his throne. It gives him the whole idea of the incense was... Uh, a pleasing scent of satisfaction before God, and so the prayers of the saints will be like in a. Uh, it's it's symbolic. It's it's not literal. So, that's okay. That's all it's saying. We
0: have I, I well,
2: symbol. You know, I th- it's a symbolic the, the, idea. The, the thing that people want to. Know, well, how do you know it's symbolic? Because uh, it's prayers. It's not. It's it's not uh, tangible. Yeah, it's not symbol, It's not real incense. You know, it's it's just. It's just uh, it's the prayers of the saints the and of the, the saints. imagery that, mm-hmm. that John sees it as is like that. Just like in Revelation chapter 5, Jesus is presented as the lamb who becomes a lion, right? Uh-huh. Jesus is a man. He's, uh-huh. not, he's not a lamb a sy- or a lion. Symbols. Right? It's symbols for his two comings
1: hmm okay
0: okay so can I'll, I ask one all of a sudden more? questions are flooding yeah, in, yeah. of course <laughs> they are because uh,
1: just what you've been sharing has been just fantastic Michael we have one more that just came in and uh here's what they said I said Michael you probably get this question all the time I have Hebrew heritage also Scottish and Apache but does that mean I'm Jewish or would I be considered a Gentile
2: I don't know okay uh the reason is you know, a lot of people say, oh, I have Jewish heritage because I took a 23 Me, which is not reliable, one of these genetic tests. Mm-hmm. And I say, how much Jewish heritage do you have? And they say, I'm 1% Ashkenazi Jew. And I'm like, I don't know, you know, or 10%. That's I've, Most people tell me 1% or 3%. And, uh, I, you know, what I, I simply use as my... Uh, uh, standard is i use the standard of the israeli government for uh, and it's a terrible standard but it's the standard i use for their immigration policies that you have to have one jewish grandparent to be considered uh, eligible for the law of return but the way they got that was the nazis used one jewish grandparent as the standard for persecuting jewish people mm. so you, so you went to concentration camp or were killed because you had one jewish grandparent. So after the war, when Israel was born, the law of return was adopted by the state of Israel, and they said one Jewish grandparent. I. That's very arbitrary. I recognize that, and it's, mm-hmm. look at the source. However, uh, it, it seems to me the safest, uh, although, you know, someone says to me, my great-grandmother was Jewish, that means your grandmother was Jewish, you know? Mm-hmm. and So uh, I, I don't I don't know but you know what happens is that there are people who have no Jewish heritage no Jewish identity and they find they have 1% in their DNA or their genetic makeup I think well you know really you're not Jewish but one okay, percent. Uh, here's the thing not. God's not God loves all people for God so loved the world not the mm-hmm. world of the Jews and yeah so... I
0: think that was the rest of her question was am not under God's promises for mm-hmm. the Jewish nation but as a Christian you have been grafted in as Not what? grafted
2: into Israel, but grafted into the New Covenant promises. That's okay. that the, the, the olive tree represents in Romans 11, and those are great promises, don't you think? Uh, forgiveness, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, restoration to God, a new relationship with Him—all those co- uh, covenantal promises are great. You don't, you—you'll never regret. Think, oh, the Jewish people have more than me, and that's better for them. Uh, that's just not going to be the way it is. Okay. All
0: right. All right. Okay. Thank Michael, you so much.
1: Thank you so much. Just <laughs> all that you do and share with us each and every Monday. We so appreciate you and all that you do. Michael rodelneck on 88.9 Moody Radio.